The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. All right, dude, so uh, we should probably give everybody a little bit of an explanation on uh, running that old show last week. Uh, we yes. missed recording because I wasn't able to leave Memphis, uh, where I'd been helping my mom post uh, hip replacement, when I expected to, uh, for anyone who missed that show. Yeah. I, I went to ancient Egypt and she got a brand new hip. And then at the point I was supposed to get on a plane, she couldn't handle things on her own. She's 81. You know, I get it. Uh, so I stuck around for a few more days and then, uh, Two more days after that, uh, because <laughs> Memphis had an ice storm, uh, and they canceled my flight. Um, I haven't experienced an ice storm since the 1990s, dude. Um, yeah. My last one was actually in Massachusetts. Uh, can I just say that as much as that sucked and as weird as it was to hear crack and then falling branch, um, I'll take that over a wildfire. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, in the pantheon of ways to die, burning up is the worst one. And so uh, and then choking to death on smoke is uh, high on the list also. So, yeah, an ice storm. Yeah. And and I don't want to be blase because I know a lot of areas aren't prepared for things like weather events like that. But, you know, I mean, up here where winter happens all the time, we're kind of like, yep, yep. Oh, it's a shame about the trees. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, we had to run an old show last week, everybody. Uh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> we will be on a more uh, traditional schedule, uh, it seems, but I'm going to be going back to Memphis more. So yeah, life doesn't care very much what our plans are. So it's good you could show up for your mom. Um, and that was old show was a, it was a nugget. It was a real good one. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. all righty. Well, what are you up to this week? Uh, this week I have less of a pull and more of a push. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. I wrote uh, TCI Friday a week or two ago about the question of when and how to set yourself up with studded tires for winter. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically now that my bikes are all set up tubeless uh, it's a lot bigger job to pry those tires off their rims and switch them for their studded versions presumably with tubes and then rework them again in the spring oh yeah that does sound messy and maybe uh, puncturable yeah and it's always a question here of how long to run the studded tires anyway, because the temperatures are so up and down. Winters are kind of warmer, except when they're not. 
and you don't want to ride studded tires on pavement too much. Uh, it's bad for the studs, and it's a bummer. It's just not an awesome experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I got caught. I'm, I've been caught in that purgatorial place where I don't. I'm not switched over to studs, but I'm, and so I'm not riding because it's. It would be necessary to have studs, but actually this week it's all melting out, and you probably won't need them. <laughs> and that got me thinking. Yeah. Exactly. And that got me thinking about the right application for tubeless tires, what that really is. Mm. And also that having choices like this is a real mark of privilege that not everyone has. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Your everyday human cycling person may not have the skills to set up a tubeless tire or the money to spend on having someone do it for them. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, the industry also does this thing where it tells riders that they need to make changes. You know, for example, when everyone all of a sudden had to move to disc brakes for everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. After, after decades of saying lighter was always better, road bikes started showing up like a full pound heavier than they had been because disc brakes were so much better than rim brakes. And th- there was no... Like, that's okay to offer... I'm not saying they shouldn't have offered disc brake road bikes because there are good applications for those but there was no acknowledgement of like look every marketing campaign we've run for the last 15 years has focused on how our stuff is lighter and if you don't have the lighter thing you're really a putz yeah i mean it's funny but now we're just gonna blah, blah. <laughs> yeah you know you get companies going hey we we shaved 100 grams out of our 800 gram frame uh but now you're gonna put on these parts that are going to increase the weight of your bike by a thousand grams 10 times that an order of magnitude heavier yes right right which and that begs the question were you lying to me then or lying to me now (laughs) what is what is actually important yeah uh and you know and there's i think there's sometimes a concern that because we are you know quote unquote in the industry that we have all of the latest and the greatest and, yeah. um, you know, my, okay, my, my gravel bikes, disc brake, but my road bikes, you know, they're custom built steel and the, I am still running, you know, traditional rim calipers on those. And those bikes are not going to get tabs brazed onto them. Uh, they are not going to change in any way. They are going to continue to be rim brake bikes. I have a perfect road bike which is a rim brake. Yeah, it's just a straight ahead. It's light. It's agile. I love that bike. I'm not changing that bike for anything. I think, um, you know, what I want to say is I think we need to think more and communicate better about when new technologies, for lack of a better word, because I have a hard time thinking of tubeless tires as technology, but... When when are they worth investing in? You know, my road bike, as I said, doesn't have disc brakes. I don't see why I would get a disc brake road bike living where I live. Uh, If I lived in Colorado or Utah or even Malibu, maybe uh, I would maybe think about that choice. But Mm -hmm. otherwise, it's added weight with little benefit for me. Um, and that, again, there's, pr- there's privilege in that because I have gravel bikes, right? So, or I, ha- I shouldn't even say that I have a gravel bike, uh, which is also wonderful and perfect and has disc brakes. So if, if weather becomes an issue, I ride that bike instead of the road bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that all brings me back to tubeless tires. Uh, yeah, 
like what's the what is the use case? Yes, they let you run lower pressures. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great on a mountain bike. It's also pretty good on a gravel bike, mm-hmm. but that assumes you don't want to swap tires around very much. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people who are like, well, I, and I used to run thirty twos at certain times of year and forties at other times of year. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you do that, running tubes is still a great economical and convenient choice. Yep. Uh, and and look, I'm going to carry an extra tube in my saddlebag anyway because you have to legislate catastrophe right like you can still wreck a tire (laughs) yeah yeah you can still you know your tubeless may not it's not a hundred percent guaranteed to get you there and back um am i making sense here yeah no i I, uh absolutely yeah i am i am with you all of the way um i mean i like I like tubeless top to bottom. Um, one of my road bikes is set up uh, with zip 303s that are not, you know, tubeless compatible. And so I've got inner tubes there, but I've got my Danucci set up with uh, zip uh, 30s, the, the aluminum clincher. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a tubeless compatible wheel. So I'm running 28 millimeter tubeless tires on it. And mm. You know, um, running 28 millimeter tires at 75 PSI, Mm. uh, it kind of makes me wonder about my intelligence in previous (laughs) years of my life. I I mean, it's just, it's so good. It's like, why would I do anything else? Every day I live does that for me, but go on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to only confess so much right now. Fair enough. Go on. (laughs) But I mean... You know, I I mean, okay, so living in Sonoma County, where our roads are in need of massive help, uh, the idea of running 23 millimeter tires pumped up to 100 or 105 PSI, Mm. no, I'm just not going to do that anymore. If I was still living in Southern California and still doing super fast group rides, you can bet your bottom I would still be doing that. Um, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would be looking for a slightly slower group ride, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, that's where my friends were. And so I got you. Know, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But around here, man, I just, you know, cycling, I'm no longer trying to prove something in cycling. Yeah. It's, it's been a while. Although, you know, that, I, apparently I'm going to try to prove something in June, but that's a different story. I, for me, you know, when I get on a bike, I want to enjoy myself. And yeah. so having a comfortable ride is kind of, um, a necessary condition, a, a, a precondition of enjoyment. You would think so, but there was definitely a time, the 90s, when uh, a certain amount of suffering, like, oh, I'm going to, this bike is so stiff, it's going to rattle the teeth out of my head. That's right. That's how you know you're doing it, right? I, I, you know, and I, I was um, a card carrying, you know, full membership member of that little society. Uh, I absolutely was, Um, you know, and. I mean, for me, it just points to stages in life where like 
I'm not really concerned about trying to do 32 miles per hour, you know, and getting away from a group. That's, mm. that's not where I am in my riding right now. Um, mm. uh, do I want to rail that next turn on the single track? Very much so. Right. Um, so it's not like I, I'm, you know, just going to ride slow forever, but uh, there are certain things that I'm not concerned with doing. And when you're not concerned with like every last lost watt of rolling resistance, um, bigger tires set up tubeless. It's a lovely thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. And I just, my, my overarching point is that, you know, like a lot of cyclists, I follow the trends closely. I get excited. I jump on plenty of bandwagons. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's worth examining all of these choices and understanding, too, that not everyone can or should make them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's reasonable. I mean, certainly the less expensive route, you know, if if someone's being cost conscious uh, on yeah. putting tires on their bike, uh, not going tubeless is the way to keep costs low, even though that does mean right. buying more tubes. I mean, you can go online and, and buy tubes for a lot less than you can get them at a lot of bike shops. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, for someone really looking to keep their costs down. Yeah. Inner tubes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Patch kits. I used right. to have what Energy. I call patching parties. I would sit in front of HBO on a Saturday afternoon with a whole bunch of inner tubes and a couple of patch kits. And then a couple yeah. of weeks later, I found out which patches I didn't install properly. Right. I did the same <laughs> thing. Like once a year, uh, I would not be sitting in front of the television because I'm apparently I'm just not clever enough to think of that. But I or uh, I would just sit in the in the garage and just go through all of my flatted tubes and patch them up or throw them out or turn them into tie down straps because uh, an inner tube makes a real good tie down strap. It does. Uh, whatever the case may be. But yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people who have need to live that life um, mm. to, to keep rolling. And I, th I, I sometimes, you know, I've my time in the bike industry has been spent at the high end of affairs. Mm -hmm. And um, I have been fortunate to be able to ride great bikes and get great equipment. Uh, not everyone has that access or the income necessary to support it. So um, I, I, I get uncomfortable with the amount that I I spend amount of time I spend talking about, you know, the the latest greatest thing anyway mm -hmm. yeah that's understandable yeah, yeah. all righty well uh i think we're going to take a little break here and we will be back in just a minute the pace line is brought to you by the cycling independent we are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser sponsor or investor commitments influencing our editorial we don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening.
Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, what have you got for us this week? Well, as I mentioned, I'm just back from Memphis. Uh, <laughs> Tennessee, not Egypt. Well, yeah, technically, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, confession time. Prior to my departure, I'll just be honest and say my riding has been in a serious slump. Uh, to recap, in November, I had two mountain bikes stolen and was hit by a car, uh, all in a span of like five days. Uh, <laughs> and I just, I mean, I said the sentence and the sentence is true, but yeah. there's a certain disbelief about said sentence. Yeah. In the aftermath, riding on the road was freaking me out. I made some small mention of it. Uh, so the reasonable alternative was that, you know, if you're, being freaked out by riding or on the road, you know, you go for a mountain bike ride, get on trails, right? But I couldn't go on mountain bike rides because, well, duh. Yeah. So as a result, I rode less in December than I have in any December since I was a Nordic ski instructor back in grad school. When I got to Memphis, I was on duty in a pretty serious way. I really didn't fully understand the depth of my mom's needs both before and after the surgery. Um, still, you know, I was getting some time for myself. <laughs> I absolutely needed it. Um, and I knew I needed to reboot my riding. So I kind of pulled out every trick I know. Um, oh, tricks. In, yeah. Uh, in previous shows, we've talked about doing things to revitalize your riding when it gets stale. Hmm. I can't say my riding was stale, but I had some, you know, pretty obvious impediments. Uh, my nearly three weeks in Memphis, holy cow, uh, allowed me to let go of the associations I had from being hit by the car, as well as the frustration I was feeling from being out of shape. Uh, so what was troubling me? Uh, well, a big part of my uh, problem was fear, uh, yeah. that I had, um, anytime I was riding near dusk, I was hit near dusk just shortly before sundown. Um, never mind the use of blinking lights on my bike when I was hit, you know, just riding in waning light was not working. No amount of increased visibility was going to make me feel better in that lower light situation. Um, <clears throat> also, because my back was kind of tweaked, uh, sustained climbing was really an issue. I would find myself getting really tight uh, and uncomfortable on anything more than about a half a kilometer. In Memphis, uh, I rode in the early afternoon whenever possible. So the light was different. You know, that quality of light was just very different than it is, you know, later in the day. Also, I was on entirely different roads in Memphis than the ones I'd have used to begin and end a ride here. Those two things right there did so much. Um, but the third thing I did, and I think that this is one detail that can be easily overlooked for people who are, you know, kind of struggling, uh, was that I went and rode in a place that I found really fun. So most of my riding I was doing was on a trail system uh, that's in and around Shelby Farms in East Memphis. When I first started riding a mountain bike back in 1988, <laughs> how's that? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I was riding the trails at Shelby Farms. Uh, some of those trails 
are nearly unchanged from 30 plus years ago. Uh, and despite my condition or relative lack thereof, and the fact that my 40 millimeter tires were nearly slick, I swear to you, I am faster on those trails on a gravel bike than I was on a mountain bike. And that's kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> also, and this goes to my trouble with climbing and my back elevation changes on those trails. And for most of Memphis, uh, <laughs> occur at no more than about 12 feet at a time. Uh, right. on those, on those trails, elevation changes often more like five feet. Right. Uh, so there was no problem that way. Um, the other piece in this, and this part was really what worked the miracle was doing rides that felt playful. I was riding alone on this trail system and these single track trails wind and weave and rarely run straight for more than a couple dozen feet. Um, I think there are two different sections that run straight for maybe 50 yards. Um, uh, there are sections where you are constantly turning um, and the, the ground there can tend to be on the slick side. Uh, it's, you know, uh, it's congealed mud for the most part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being on a bike where cornering was a bit sketchy, but riding on trails that lacked anything dangerous like rock, uh, allowed me to kind of push the limits of the tires adhesion or, you know, relative lack thereof. <laughs> now that I'm back, I'm hungry to ride. I missed riding yesterday because I was so busy. Uh, and getting to about four o'clock in the afternoon and realizing I'm just not going to get a ride in today instead of being, eh, okay. Another diet day of not riding. I was like, ah, okay, definitely tomorrow. We are not letting go of this. Um, so, you know, even if it means riding those same streets that were freaking me out before, uh, I think it's going better now. Um, cool. Cool. Yeah. And I've, <clears throat> I've needed that. I have really needed that. So yeah. I, I'm curious, what sorts of things would you add to that list of, of tips or tricks that uh, you reach into when you have trouble? Um, well, you said, uh, you know, focusing on fun. And for me, that's right. The way I do that um is when i'm really sort of struggling for the motivation is i get on the bike with no plan mm. and i go wherever i feel like you know i i think so much of my riding has been regimented it's been goal oriented even if the goal is fun i'm like i'm going to go to this trail system and i'm going to do the outer loop and you know you have that in your head so that you're not just wandering around aimlessly. And that makes sense a lot of the time. Yeah. Having a game plan allows you to know how long you're going to be gone. Right. Yeah. Basic planning is a lot of the time very helpful. But when I am burned out, uh, sometimes just getting on the bike and heading in whatever direction uh, and then just making choices and then going home just whenever I feel like uh, can be good. And another thing that I find really good is I ride my bike out into the woods to a, a spot that I know is good and I'll just sit 
just sit and you know be in the woods uh and getting that sort of reconnection to the outdoors helps me get motivated to get back on the bike and explore more outdoors if that makes any sense yeah 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 absolutely um, so those, those are the two big things for me. And I'll, and I, I guess the third one would be just to say yes to a ride with someone else where you don't plan it at all and just go along and do whatever it is that they want to do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's just shrugging off all responsibility for what's going to happen. And maybe it's a harder ride than you would plan for yourself, or maybe it's a harder ride than you were even ready for, but that's okay. I think it, you know, shakes, <laughs> shakes the snow globe. Uh, makes the scene pretty again. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. Those things, each of those things happened. Uh, well, not, not so much sitting. No, I did. There was a moment where I pulled over and just kind of looked around and went, this is kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, I did each of those things at some point while I was riding in Memphis. Um, I hooked up with a friend of a friend and we drove an hour into Northwest Mississippi and went for a gravel ride that was really kind of spectacular. And, yeah. you know, I, I need to just fully own that. I don't know that there's another cyclist on the planet who bags on Mississippi more than I do. Uh, and I mean, I think I've earned that right. Uh, having grown up in Memphis, you know, it's, it's the little brother that you like to kick. Um, but I mean, <laughs> I grew up in Alabama. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Memphis is so close to Mississippi. It's like, are are you, are you really, do you really think there's any differentiation there? And the answer is of course not. No, but, uh, it was a, it was a beautiful ride. And it's one of the things I'll, I'll pick this up in a, in a separate, uh, pull, but it's one of the things about gravel riding that is so great, but it was just a wonderful ride, met new people, you know, rode someplace I'd never ridden before. That was all just wonderful. Um, But also your point about no game plan. Well, since I don't have a bunch of loops worked out in Memphis where I know, okay, this one's 90 minutes, this one's two hours, this is two and a half. You know, I, I roll out the door and it's like, well, you've got two hours. Let's see what happens. Um, And I'm still in this process of, discovering these new trails uh north of an area of shelby farms that i know very well i think this is considered i think those trails are considered part of shelby farms i'm not entirely clear but what i know is they're really fun trails um Mm. yeah Uh, there's a spot called bedpan alley that's going to get a post oh okay yeah 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 that that's another thing I was going to add, actually, is that uh, in my regular riding, there are offshoot trails that I don't know where they go that I just blow off every time because that's not the way I go. I go this way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, sometimes the way to refresh is to just go do that thing. Maybe it's no good. Maybe there's a reason you blow it off and that no one you know rides down that way. But maybe there's a little gem over there, or there's some log to go over, or some little twisty bit that you could enjoy. And I think those things are, as ever, right? Like, you get on the bike when you're a little kid, and it blows your mind the amount of freedom and adventure that's available to you all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And when cycling goes stale, it's because you've lost track of the freedom and the adventure. 
you've become too trapped in your ways or whatever. And so the way to reboot is to re-engage with the freedom. Just choose where you want to go and the adventure. Go someplace you don't know what it looks like. And I think those that's like the most powerful yeah. move. Yeah. I, I am with you. Uh, and yeah, because I don't know where any of this stuff goes and there's, you know, equal opportunity for it to be more amazing than what I just did. I am in this space of, well, I guess this week, or I guess today I need to turn down that. Um, right. It's, it's really, really nice. I can say, you know, with a completely straight face, uh, no crossed fingers. I have never enjoyed writing in Memphis more than I have recently. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I have to go back soon because my mom still needs a whole lot of help. And mm-hmm. I'm, I am it. Uh, I am the entirety of the, uh, infrastructure other than a, you know, occasional housekeeper. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to be doing more group rides there. Yeah. Making friends. I mean, a great thing where you can both renew your riding and show up for your mom. Yeah, there win, are win. a lot of downsides. Uh, it does mean that I'm like, when I get back here, I'm on daddy duty for two full weeks. Right. <laughs> so it's a it's a different sort of thing I'm cultivating here. Uh, yeah. But it is the thing that I need to do along with really getting my riding on track. Yeah. Yeah. So very good. Well, let's move on to paceline picks. Um, so this week, if you've been listening a long time uh, and know how much I sweat, uh, this <laughs> won't be a shock pick for you. It's the orange mud transition wrap 2.0 changing towel and car seat cover. Okay. Okay. Time, time, time out. That was, I know I don't do their marketing. I would have, I would have. Yeah. Well, is that orange mud transition wrap, blah, blah, blah. Or is that orange mud transition wrap or is it orange mud transition wrap? Uh, Where's the comma? The comma colon. is between mud and so it's orange mud is the uh-huh. brand. Okay. Uh, the transition wrap 2.0 is the thing. Okay. And, and it, it is-, is a changing towel and a car seat cover. Two great tastes that taste great together. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, please continue. I, you've got me. All right. So this is not a revolutionary product in many ways, but it is a it has been a game changer for me. Okay. Basically, this is a 30 by 60, 30 inch by 60 inch microfiber towel with a hook and loop closure along one edge. So you can cinch it around your waist to change out of sweaty bibs or shorts Mm -hmm. after a ride. And it's got a zipper system on one end, so you you it, it basically zips one end into a hood configuration that you then hook, you hang over the headrest of your car seat okay. to keep from befouling your car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure, you can probably achieve a similar effect with a regular towel, but the little details on this thing make it so easy and convenient. I I don't want to be without it uh anymore. Well, there after you go. After a ride, 
Yeah. After a ride, I just chuck it in the wash with my kit, and it goes back in the car for the next use immediately. Hmm. Uh, it's forty four ninety five, uh, which is you know the price of a real nice bath towel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably get a second one so I can rotate them more. Uh, Orange Mud, the company, also makes an array of hydration and frame. And, so hydration packs for running and riding, and also frame packs for. You know, they make saddle bags and frame bags, uh, I think stem bag. Um, but the quality is really good. Um, some of the stuff is made in the U.S., some of it is made in Mexico. They are getting some things from Asia. Um, they're, 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 they seem to be focused on quality, mm-hmm. uh, however they get their stuff made. Um, and I recommend it highly, especially if you are a person who finishes a ride as, as sweaty and dirty as I normally do. <laughs> okay, now I have to ask a question here. Uh, yeah. Some some time back, when my ex was not yet my ex, uh, and you know we were both moving about the kitchen, she bought some dish towels that were microfiber. Mm. And my experience of microfiber in a in a Terry type form was that it simply moved the water around on the plate. And didn't actually absorb any of the water. I recognize that this might actually be a helpful feature uh, for something that's meant to keep, you know, your nastiness from the car seat. Exactly. Um, but it is billed as a towel, which would suggest absorbency on some level. Um, <sighs> yep. Does it absorb? It does absorb. I think I think this is part of its charm is that it's not highly permeable. So it doesn't allow a lot of the filth through to the mm-hmm. seat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is absorbent, but not too absorbent. OK. All right. Yeah. That I mean, it, it, I can see the potential that microfiber might truly be of benefit here. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is that it can be wet and filthy and still comfortable to sit on. Uh, definitely selling. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I got mine. Um, I was um, right around the time we started cycling independent. I, I had uh, begun working as a consultant. So out of my house. And that gave me all kind of free time. So I was riding and running every day. And I was exploring different trail systems and different areas all the time. So I was out in the car quite a bit, you know, probably for a block of three hours each day. Mm -hmm. And I was running into that like, man, I am filthy. I'm just going to ruin the car if I keep up this pace. And I had a towel. I would bring a towel with me, but towels don't stay where you put them. Right. Um, You know, you can sort of arrange it on your back and then then try to pin it down so that while you drive, you're not. I've never done that. Right. (laughs) It just doesn't work. Um, And I saw this thing and it was a product that um, uh, 
some algorithm determined would be good for me based on the things that I look at on social media. And I dismissed it for a long time as like, I just don't buy, I'm not going to click through on any of this stuff. I'm just not going to participate. Uh, good try. And then one day I was like, that actually looks like it's all, <laughs> that actually <laughs> does look like a solution to a real problem I have. And I got it. And I am now fully convinced. And my, I think uh, my neighbor got one because I had raved about it to him. And he's like, yep, this is the correct tool for this job. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. cool. All right. Uh, so I'm going to say that it takes a special achievement in headwear to justify a price of $60. Um, yes, boys and girls, I am burying the lead on this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I am about to talk about the most expensive cycling cap you're likely to ever encounter. But there's a reason, and actually two reasons. Uh, Riding in the wet um, and cold, uh, your head needs protection, and a waterproof cycling cap is just such the protection that we need. Uh, It's thin enough that it will fit under uh, all but the snuggest fitting helmets. Um, So yeah, my pick this week is the Sportful Fiandre No Rain Cap. Yes, another product from the No Rain line. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I've, I actually mentioned this cap as a pick, I don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, with Celine, I'm pretty sure. Um, but this is, this is the time of year to, you know, resurrect that cap, pull it back out of the, the drawer. Uh, it's a proper cycling cap, you know, which means that the bill isn't so big that it will blow around and wind, uh, and it sheds water like a Siberian Husky. When it's raining, I wear this and no glasses. Uh, Seriously, it is the single most important cycling cap I own. It's not the sexiest, but it's it's the one that provides real, absolutely necessary function. It is it is a garment that does something that no other garment will do. And in my wardrobe, that's an achievement. I have redundant garments like i i i i don't i don't know uh the construction is fully seam sealed uh it does not feature any insulation so it's not like a mutt you know that is an insulated cycling cap with ear flaps this thing is about to get used lots uh if rain is falling and i'm on the bike this is the one piece of gear i can guarantee you i'm wearing um Again, it's the Fiandre No Rain Cap from Sportful. And there will, of course, be a link in our show notes. And yes, $60 more. It's much smaller than the thing you were recommending, John. Um, but I, I venture to say it's every bit as useful and valuable. I buy it. Yeah, I might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all righty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Um, it's early February. Have you yeah. begun planning your calendar for the year? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm already signed up for a trail half marathon, which I will be doing without a bike. Mm. Um, and there are gravel rides afoot for the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not fully clear what the schedule is just yet. I have a group of friends who I will probably tag along with. Um, but I think it's definitely time to 
um, plunk your money down and make your plans. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, after having not signed up for anything for quite some time, um, right. I really took the plunge the other day. Um, Bike Monkey, the big promoter here that puts on Levi's Grand Fondo and so many other really fun events. They're the best event that they put on, in my opinion, uh, and my favorite event that I've ever done in my life. Wente. Yeah. Wente is back on the schedule. Wente. Yeah. So uh, it's an eight hour mountain bike race held at the Wente Scout Camp up in Mendocino County. And this guy, Kevin Smallman, an Eagle Scout who went on to be uh, a counselor there at the Wente camp, somehow managed to convince camp leadership to let him start carving single track trails into the hills. And so you've never done a mountain bike race on a course that's more fun. And if you are, let's go with silly enough, you can ride those trails for almost nine hours. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the fact that like, I don't know of, of, of a single race where the heckling is better. Um, there's that, uh, it's, I mean, it's just stupid amounts of beautiful. It's a lot of really great people. The party Saturday night is epic ish. Um, there's a lot of silliness, a lot of just lovely people. And it's a whole weekend. You get up there Friday, you leave Sunday. Easily my favorite bike event in the whole world. They put an extra hundred spots on sale Monday. That's what I had done. Um, and uh, they sold out in like an hour. So is this a solo uh, endeavor for you or is it a team <laughs> thing or? Well, I, we know that I've got brain damage, so. I signed up solo, but this is an event that you can do it solo. You can do a duo. You can do three person team. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, you can mix and match ages and genders, two men and a woman and a woman, uh, three women, you know, a couple guy and girl, whatever. Uh, There are half a billion different categories. So the Mm -hmm. award ceremony Saturday afternoon actually takes quite a while. Um, Mm. But it's awesome. It's just really awesome. And uh, my work is cut out for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, we're going to need a chiropractor and a, uh, we're going to have to sign up some support staff, I think. Yeah. A nutritionist, too. You know? Yeah. 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 All righty. Before we go, uh, we want to let you know you've already <laughs> you've already found out firsthand. Uh, we're dropping a few extra podcasts in your feed over the coming weeks. Uh, it's one thing to tell you we are producing other podcasts, uh, but we figured we ought to maybe just make it easy for you and stick a few in your feed so you could give them a try. Um, we hope that you like them. And if you do, we hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is you're getting your podcasts. Um, and if we aren't listed in a place you like to get podcasts, please let us know in the comments or email or wherever, somewhere, Facebook. Uh, anyway, wherever you'd like us to appear, just let us know. And uh, there are so many outlets now, it's easily possible that I've overlooked something. Um, so yeah. All righty, send us some questions. I miss answering questions. If you got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. 
We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.